Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Hey, great to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I do want to say uh, real quickly, uh, just a huge uh, uh, thank you to uh, for, for last week. Uh, we held our first ever ministry fair. We thought we'd give this a whirl, give us a try, and I couldn't have been more pleased with how everything went last week. So thank you for those of you who helped lead that, uh, and you kind of manned those stations. For those of you who stuck around for quite a while last Sunday, participated in that, a lot of you signed up to participate in some things for the very first time, got a lot of questions answered, began a lot of great conversations. So uh, thanks for making that uh, that day such a great success. Um, this morning, I do want to remind you, and the reason I wore a flannel shirt today was to remind you that next Sunday night is one of our biggest events of the year. We call it Flannel by the Fire. Um, it's, like I said, one of the biggest events of the year. It is certainly the most pumpkin spiciest event of the year, and so we want you to be sure that you and your family and your friends are here next Sunday evening, beginning at 6.30, uh, for our Flannel by the Fire event. Uh, a couple things you need to know about that. Uh, first, it starts at 6.30 next week, so just plan to be here. It'll be right about dark. Uh, it'll be a fire going. Uh, lots of great things for the entire family. Uh, not, not just a kid's event. There's plenty of stuff for the kids, but not just a kid's event. So moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, we want you here as well. Uh, out in the atrium, as you, uh, as you leave this morning on the, uh, the, the window by the office, uh, there's a couple of sign-up sheets. would love for you, if you're available and willing, uh, we're going to need a little bit of help uh, pulling off some of these stations and activities and stuff that we have uh, for Flannel by the Fire, so you can sign up for that. Uh, there's also a place for you to sign up for the chili cook-off. Uh, we just need an idea of how many uh, plugs we need to have down there. And But when I invite all of you to bring uh, a crock pot of your favorite chili, and we'll see who uh, who takes home the ring this year at the chili cook-off. I'm coming for you, Gretchen. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not bitter at all about last year's um, stolen event. Uh, no, hers was fantastic. Mine will be better this year, I hope. So bring your chili and play along with us for the chili cook-off next Sunday night. And also um, on the uh, window there, there's a couple of cards. Uh, we've started a, a registry on Amazon uh, for some just kind of big yard games and things like that. And we need a couple more of those things if you uh, are willing and can take that home with you and get on your Amazon account and have that shipped to you or here to the church uh, this week. That'd be great and be one more thing we can have to participate uh, with this great event, Flannel by the Fire. Well, this morning, uh, let me start off by talking about some movies. I'm going to show you some pictures of some movies. I want to see if you can help me. Just go, you can shout these out loud if you know them. I want to see if you know who these characters from these famous, famous characters from some famous movies. See if you can tell me who they are. Let's see the first one, please. Um, here's the first one. Anybody know who this guy is? All right. You're, you're Star Wars fan. This is an easy one. All right. Next one. Gandalf. All right. We've got some sci-fi and some mystery fans here. All right. I love this next one. Oh. Her name is Nakia. That's from the Black Panther. Yeah, she's she's a rock star. Yeah, all right, next one. Indiana, all right, you got the movie, Indiana Jones. That is Marion Ravenwood. Yeah, that's the love interest in the uh, the Indiana Jones films. She's great. You don't know this one. I know. This is this one. So who said it? What? King's Speech. Yeah, somebody said it. Yeah, the King's Speech. This is Lionel. Um, I don't know what his last name is in the movie. From the, from the movie, The King's Speech, if you haven't seen that. Beautiful film. Great film. Great, great movie. How about this guy? You know, you know him. <laughs> Flynn Rider. Yeah, we go with the Tangled. We got the little Disney. And then finally, do you know this guy? 
Oh, yes. Yeah, catch the fly with the chopsticks. That's Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid. All right, all of these characters, there's one thing that all of them have in common. And I think it's really, really cool what all of these characters have in common, what ties them all together. And if you want to know what that is, you're going to have to listen to the entire sermon because I'm going to tell you at the end. That's called a teaser. All right, so... The thing that they all have in common has a huge impact on what I want to talk about today as we continue in this Say Yes series. We've been in this all fall. We'll be in it through the end of this month. And the idea here behind the Say Yes series is that God has invited all of us to say yes to participating in his kingdom. That's why we had the ministry fair last week, to say yes to participating and finding your place of service in or through the church. That's why we've talked about baptism, to say yes to following Jesus, to put your, your faith and your trust in him, not only for your eternity, but for now. And the idea about the kingdom is that uh, what I think is important for us to remember is that Jesus never invited us to be Christians. I told you this first week of the series. Jesus never invited us to follow a religion. He never said, come and be a Christian. Jesus, what Jesus did say was follow me. Come and follow me because I'm going to invite you to participate in my kingdom. And his kingdom, when he spoke about the kingdom in the first century, his kingdom was so contrary to what they were used to back then when it came to kingdoms. Because back then they were used to dealing with Alexander the Great. And they were used to dealing with Babylon and they were used to dealing with Persia. They were used to dealing with Rome. And they lived through this for generations. And now the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, were living with this pain of Roman oppression on them and the Roman kingdom on them. And along comes Jesus who says, I've got a different kind of kingdom. And I want to invite you to follow me into and participate in that kingdom. And so Jesus would pray. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, may up there come down here. Because this kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of Jesus is not just a kingdom we reach when we die and we get to go to heaven. Oh, that's certainly part of it. But that kingdom is here and it is now. So may up there come down here. And when you think about it, isn't that what we all want? The things that you and I despise in this world are the things that are absent in heaven. Think about the things that frustrate us, things that make us mad, things that make our blood boil, from racism to prejudice to hatred, things like abuse, addiction. Those things aren't in heaven. And so we want up there to come down here. We want a place where there's no hunger, no starvation, no disease. We want a place where we all get along, a place where there is no war or terrorism. We want a place where no women or girls are used as a commodity to be bought and sold, where women aren't treated as property. We want a place where we can use our gifts to our greatest potential. Friends, that's called heaven. And so we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We want up there to come down here. And Jesus says, that's what my kingdom's all about. 
And that, that can happen now. So what we're doing in this series this fall is we are exploring some of the ways that we can participate in this kingdom. And what I want to talk about today, one of the ways that we can participate in this kingdom of Jesus is really more about a, a, a mindset, a philosophy of living, if you will, than it is about maybe serving or something that you do with your hands and feet. And so that's what I want to talk about. This. So let, let me begin with this observation to kind of get in what I, where I want to go today. We all know what it's like to feel some sort of pressure to keep up with somebody else. Uh, maybe you feel this during the holidays and your brother-in-law is going on and on and on around the Thanksgiving table about his investments and his new business and everything and is new in his life. And you're like, well, what have I got that's new? He's got all this new stuff. What can I come up with? What portfolio do I have? And so you're just trying to keep up with everybody. You know the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Kardashians. And we've all gotten exhausted trying to keep up with somebody else. And we feel this pressure in our lives to be further along than we are. To at least make everybody else think that we've got it figured out more than we do. To have, think that we want people to think that we have more than we have, or that we look better than we do, or we keep up with everybody else. And there's this thing inside of me that tries to keep up with everybody and to constantly make myself look better than I am. I assume we all wrestle with this because I know I do. We do this with our social media accounts. We've all gotten into the business of building a brand and we post the perfect picture or we make sure we say, have the perfect message all in an attempt to make me look better, to look funnier, to look more important, to, to, be, to look more put together than I really am. Well, unfortunately, when you and I live with this kind of pressure, we're tempted to lie. We're tempted to embellish. We might even be tempted to go into debt to look better than we really are. What's the old saying? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. That's what we all do. And it's led some of us to develop an addiction. It's led some of us to deal with just an outrageous sense of jealousy, uncontrollable anger, or it keeps us awake at night, or we deal with bitterness that leaves us in, leads us into debt and depression and self-doubt and self-medication. And it's just this endless loop, this constant, constant pain that we feel this desire to look better, to keep up with. Well, Jesus is going to set an example for us, for his kingdom, for life in his kingdom. And it's this philosophy, it's this way to approach life that I want to talk about today. So let me sum it up with this phrase. Jesus would not say that in his kingdom we try to climb the ladder. We're not trying to ascend to be great. Instead, Jesus would say, in my kingdom, you descend into greatness. And that's a little backwards. That's a little, little confusing. So let me try to, to walk through this from a moment in the, in the life of Jesus. I want to read for you a story today that takes place late in Jesus' life. This moment in Jesus' life takes place as Jesus and his disciples, actually there's this entire entourage, if you will, 
but it includes Jesus and the 12 disciples. They are traveling from Galilee, the area where Jesus did most of his life. They're traveling down south to the city of Jerusalem. They're on their way to celebrate Passover. Now, it's important that we know this. This is going to be, this trip that they're on, we pick up this story in Matthew 20 in a minute. This is the moment that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. He's on his way to Jerusalem. In just a matter of days, he's going to be paraded through the city on the event that you and I refer to as Palm Sunday. A few days later, Jesus is going to break bread with his disciples as they celebrate Passover in an event that we're going to celebrate in communion in just a little while. It's this week, this, this Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to be arrested and to be crucified. That's the week that's, going, that, that, that's happening. This is, Jesus is on a beeline for those enormous events in his life. We know this. As we read the story, we know this is where it's going. The disciples, they don't know this because they're, they're there. They're living with him. They don't know that yet. So on this journey, these disciples have got to be wondering, what happens next? What's going to happen next? We've been with Jesus three years, and every time we go down to Jerusalem, something big happens. So what's it going to be this time? Something big happens, and people start following Jesus, and Jesus performed these amazing miracles, and it's just incredible. And so they're excited. They're wondering what's going to happen next. And I'll tell you what the disciples are thinking about. They're thinking, this is it. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and it's time he's finally going to overthrow Rome. He's going to give the Israelites their freedom back and their city back and their temple back. But Jesus has something else in mind. The disciples were thinking, this is it. We're finally going to be in power. We're finally going to kick those nasty Romans out. And this is when Jesus is going to rise up and he's going to pull back the shirt and he got the big M for Messiah on his chest like Superman. That's, what's, that's what they think is going to happen. There's going to be this amazing moment when they get to Jerusalem. Everyone's excited about what, what happens when they get to Jerusalem. But Jesus has something else in mind. Look at what happens. Matthew tells us a story. Matthew was there. He was there. He was on the trip. He's one of the eyewitnesses to this moment. So he tells us the story, Matthew 20. I'll begin reading at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. Now, I, I love this. I'm stop just a second because I love this because Matthew is apparently so mad at what these boys do that he won't even call them by name as he tells the story. Now, we know that these two guys, these sons of Zebedee, these are uh, two of the disciples. By the, they go by the name of James and John. That's who this is. But Matthew calls them Zebedee's boys. And their mother comes to Jesus, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. Now, Jesus had these, the 12 disciples with him, but like I said, there's just like this whole entourage. There have been family and friends, extended family, this entourage of people making their way down to Jerusalem. And here's this woman who is the wife of Zebedee, and her sons are James and John, and the mother has a name. Her name is Salome. She's actually Jesus' aunt, which is kind of an interesting twist in this story. They know each other. And so she comes up to Jesus, and she asks him for a favor. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, keep in mind what they're thinking of with kingdom. They're thinking Rome. They're thinking Persia. 
They're thinking Jesus is going to overthrow Rome and he's going to establish a kingdom and he's going to be sitting on a throne as the king of a new kingdom, a literal throne. And so before Jesus rolls in there and makes Israel great again, she wants to know, hey, Jesus, can, can you make my boys, put one of my boys at your right and one of my boys at your left? In other words, can they be in your cabinet? Can they be important when we get to the new kingdom? And here's the response from Jesus, verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Now he's talking to the boys here. He doesn't even address the mom. He knows the boys put mom up to this. And so he doesn't even dress mom. He looks at James and looks at John and he says, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? The drink the cup phrase, this is kind of a metaphor for suffering. And Jesus is saying, can you suffer what I'm about to suffer? They're thinking, we kind of thought, you know, if mom would go up there and ask you, we'd be good because, you know, she's your aunt and, you know, she's mom's sister. And we thought maybe it would smooth things over. We'll be okay. And Jesus skips right over that. And he gets right to them and he says, can you drink this cup that I'm going to drink? You see, we're not headed to Jerusalem for a battle. We're not headed to Jerusalem for an inaugural ball. We're headed to Jerusalem for me to die. And Jesus says, can you drink that cup? I love the response. We can, they answered. This is kind of like when your kids say, we want a puppy. Well, who's going to feed the puppy? We will, daddy, we will. Who's going to let the puppy out in the middle of the night? We will, daddy, we will. Who's going to clean up after the puppy? We will, daddy, we will. They lie. <laughs> I see you both over there. Yeah, well, they lie. You know that only lasts a couple of days, and you're the one at 4 a.m. walking the dog in the snow. So these boys, they come right out, and they say, we can do it, we can do it. We got this, Jesus, we got this, we got this. We, they they, 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 they want to be singled out as Jesus' closest associates. The chief of staff on the cabinet, verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. It's almost like he's chuckling at their answer. <laughs> you don't even know what you're saying. But I think maybe Jesus then gets a look of sadness. Yeah. Yeah, you will. You'll drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. There's so much going on here. I'm going to try to get through this quickly. There's this whole idea of you will drink from my cup. Here's what he's saying. Yeah, James, John, you're both going to suffer. Because after the resurrection, Jesus knows this. They don't know this yet. But after the, the resurrection, James, James, you're going to be the first one to die. They'll kill you because you were associated with me. And John, you're, you're, John, you're not going to be murdered, but you're going to be tortured you're going to have to watch as people from your church are killed. And they're going to drag you out to a prison island, and they're going to leave you there for dead. That's what's going to happen. That's the cup you're about to drink from, boys. So, boys, I know that you will suffer. And I can promise you, Jesus says to them, I can promise you persecution, but only my Father can promise promotion. Now, don't miss this. It's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around this. Jesus is saying here, there's something that I can't do. We don't think that's possible, right? But Jesus here is saying, there's something that I can't do. There's something that I don't know. In fact, another time, well, Jesus, Jesus will say, I don't even know when I'm returning. I know that I am, but only the Father knows when. You see, Jesus descends into greatness in so many ways. 
And one of them is that he limits his knowledge by becoming human. That's our call to worship this morning from Philippians 2. It was all about Jesus descending into greatness, becoming humble, becoming obedient as a slave, even a slave to death. Jesus limits his glory by putting on skin. Jesus descends so far into greatness that he submits himself to us and he allows himself the physical and the emotional and the spiritual abuse to pay for the sins of humanity. And he becomes a servant. And then he invites us as his followers to no greater of a position. In his kingdom, you descend into greatness. Now, of course, here in Matthew 20, these boys don't even know all that Jesus is talking about here. Their heads are still spinning. They're still thinking, I can't believe the mom card didn't work. I knew that. I had to work. Well, the other 10 disciples, there's 12 of them, the other 10 who are watching all of this happen, how do you think they feel? Well, I'll tell you. Verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant. That's a good Bible word, isn't it? Indignant with the brothers. In other words, they're a little bit out of shape about this. They're a little ticked off at what has just happened. They're mad at James and John that they would put their mom up to this, trying to play the mom card. They're mad. They're mad they hadn't thought of it. They're mad their mother isn't along to help them out. Well, Jesus decides it's a pretty good time for a little family chat. So he gathers all of them together, verse 25. Jesus calls them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, now here he's talking about the Romans. He's talking about the Persians that they would have studied about in their history. All these other kingdoms, Babylon that had ruled over them in the past. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. You, he, he says, you, you know how the Romans and the Greeks before them and the Babylonians before them, how they would wield, yield their power. They would, they, would, they would lord their power over everybody. How they would march into a room with all of their majestic splendor and everybody would have to stand to attention. And you remember how they would walk into a room and everybody knew that they were in charge. Remember how they spoke. And when they said something, everybody had to listen. Or they'd get beaten for, to do their bidding. Now think about that in your, in, in your context. We don't really see that very much, someone lording over us in a military way or in a king way like that. But in your context, you know what it's like when somebody lords their authority over you. Maybe you have or you've had a boss that's so demanding that you're just terrified every time they come into the room. Maybe you've got a boss that's so critical that every time the email pops up, you just shudder like, oh, what now? What's he going to say now? Maybe you've seen a husband who just demeans their wife and they lord some power over them or a wife that just ridicules her husband all the time. Maybe you've seen children disrespect their parents over and over and over again and you've seen this constant pressure of trying to ascend, trying to power up on somebody to ascend to some so, sort of supposed or assumed greatness applied by other people. Jesus says, you know how everybody else does that? That's how everybody else does it. You know how the kingdom of Rome does it? You know how the boss does it? And to you, he'd say, you know how the kingdom of people do that? How they push you down, how they try to push off on you to, to get up. You know how the empires of the world do that. Well, this is what Jesus says about his kingdom, verse 26. Not so with you. Not so with you. 
In fact, if, there, if there's any verse, any particular portion of this message that you remember, Jesus says, when it comes to my kingdom, that's not how we do it. Not so with you. This is the philosophy we're talking about. Not so with you. In my kingdom, we descend into greatness, not ascend. And this is so countercultural, isn't it? This is not how we're wired. This is not how we climb the ladders, the social ladder, the career ladder, the economic ladder. This is not how we do that. Jesus says, no, not so with you. He even gets more specific. He goes on. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That phrase there, ransom, when Jesus said that word, that would have been, meant something so powerful to every Jewish person that heard him say that. Because it would have taken them back to their Hebrew days of learning how this ransom was paid in order to get their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt. And every Gentile there and every Greek there would hear that word ransom as a price that was paid to free a slave out of slavery. Either way you look at it, the implication is the same. We are enslaved to our sin, to our choices, to our hurts, to our habits, to our hang-ups. We are enslaved to our fears, to our anxieties. We are enslaved to our selfishness, to our broken relationships. And Jesus says to them and he says to us, I'm your way out. I'm your ransom. And this is where some of us get all nervous about, are you saying Jesus is the only way? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying there's nobody else coming. He's the only way because he's the only one who has come for us. There is no other. There never will be another. And Jesus says the Son of Man has come to be a ransom for you. And now, now, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in descending into our humanity, we see his greatness because he has removed the shackles of sin and shame from our lives so that we can be with God forever. You were stuck in your sin, but you don't have to be anymore. The only reason that you're still stuck there is by your own choice because Jesus has done everything necessary and Jesus says, that's why I've come to serve. That's why I descended to you. So in a kingdom where our king was a servant in a kingdom where our king is a servant, how could we ever expect to be anything more than a servant? All right, those pictures I showed you earlier, Yoda, Nakia, Lionel, Mr. Miyagi, Gandalf, Marion, Flynn Rider. You want to know what they have in common? These are great characters from great stories. Here's what they have in common. None of them are the hero of the story. None of them are the hero of their stories. They're the guides. They're the guides that get the hero where the hero needs to go. So maybe the best way for us to visualize descending into greatness as a philosophy, as a way to participate in the kingdom, when it comes to your everyday life, 
Stop trying to be the hero. Be the guide. Be the guide. Because when it comes to this issue of, of attention and ascension and acclamation and position, Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. So let me just ask right now, if you were to be honest, is your desire to be the hero? That's the way we're wired. That's the way we watch these films. That's the way we're set up, right? But just think about it. I'm going to get real practical for a second and we're done. At home, do you want to be the hero at your house? Is that what you try to do? You, know, you don't say it like that. You don't walk in there and say, Father has arrived, kneel before me. You don't, you don't do it like that. But I'll tell you what you do, at least I'll tell you what I do, is we expect everybody else to think that our story is the most interesting or the most important. We expect that no one else interrupts us even though we'll interrupt everyone else. We expect that our plans, our desires, what we want to happen today is the most important. Our agenda comes first. What about in your conversations with your friends? Do you seek to be the hero there? Always trying to tell the better story, always one-upping what someone else has said, never asking questions about, tell me, what do you think about this? Would anybody ever consider you to be a know-it-all? Are you the hero in your conversations? What about in the office? Is your agenda the most important? Do you view everyone else as just as people just to make your day better, your life better, your job easier? Do you want to let everybody know how you saved the day, how it was your idea to save the company? What about just at the grocery store? Yeah, this, this afternoon, you go buy the groceries for the week. You're in a hurry, so everybody else better get out of your way, right? Because you're more important than them. You're pushing your way through the crowd. You're making your way through the crowd, but you're, you're constantly thinking, I got to get my stuff done. I got to get through here. I got to get out of here because your day is more important than everybody else's. Here's what Jesus would say to us. Not so with you. Don't be the hero. Be the guide. And where do we guide people to? When we descend into greatness, we're guiding them to the only one who deserves all of the glory. The only one who truly is great. And that's Jesus. Let me pray for your communion team. Go ahead and take your places. Father, this morning as we approach our time of communion, as we come to the foot of the cross, we come recognizing that our king descended. That he came and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that we might know forgiveness. We might know life. And so that he might be the ransom to set us free. And because of what Jesus has done, we are no longer slaves to our sins, to our shame, to our fears. We have been set free because of the finished work of Jesus, and we celebrate his greatness today. Amen.